Well, good morning. And good morning to everybody outside, and hello at home if you're online. We are excited that you guys are with us. We're in this series called Seeing in the Dark, and we're talking about those time periods of life when it just, you're not sure what in the world God's up to. It just isn't quite clear. You're not um, understanding what's happening, and Israel was in those states. We've been looking at the book of Exodus, and to be quite honest, I've kind of gone through a similar state in the last couple of years. I don't know about you, but a lot of things have gone on. I just went to a conference um, last week uh, with, uh, with some of the staff, and we had this opportunity to kind of go to a larger church that uh, puts the conference on. And anytime I go to one of those places, it's kind of like knocks me the wrong direction, you know? It's sort of like, oh man, look at these facilities. Look how awesome this place is. Look at that stage. Look at that. Look at these volunteers, dude. These people are willing to like give their right arm in order to like save the homeless and help people out. And they do all these different things. And their ministries are huge and vibrant. And you just kind of sit back and you're like, man, What's wrong with my leadership? Man, what's, what's up with the church? Like, am I not doing something right? Are people not moving right? And, and honestly, on the way home, it, it kind of was dawning on me just how much I've fallen into some of these um, kind of negative feelings. Now, now, it doesn't help that I just went to a conference that was about post-COVID, and it was a bunch of depressed pastors all hanging out together. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so we're all sitting around like, what was us? This has been horrible because, you know, people talking about their awful emails and the mean stuff and the church that split and how they used to have, you know, several, you know, so many people and now only 50% back and, you know, and the offerings down and cutting ministries and people are leaving. It's depressing. Let's just be honest. It's, it's, it's not fun out there. And it's been pretty miserable for a lot of, a lot of pastors. And it doesn't help that when you, oftentimes you look back and you look at everybody who left and you look at all the things that went on, you look at all the political agendas and all the things, and you start to ask yourself this question. This is what I've been asking myself. What's wrong with the discipleship that I'm doing? Like what's wrong with what we're offering and why, why are people not getting it? Like what, what's, and I start to make you begin to feel like, man, like I get up on Monday and then I work hard to get into the word and I start studying it and I try to put this message together and Tuesday we do meetings and we get people moving around and Wednesdays it's like kind of get the meeting, get the sermon done, get to the notes and practice it and do some more stuff. And then, you know, come Sunday, get up, preach, get down, get up, preach, go home, take a nap. And seriously, fight off depression at the end of the day because it's just go down after church. And it's just kind of that like, and I realize then I get up and I do it again. I get up and I do it again. 21 years. Kind of feels mundane after a while. Like I'm the pastor. I'm admitting to you that sometimes it just feels like you're just doing the same old, same old. Anybody else with me on your own job? Like, man, you wake up and it's just the same old day, the same old drive, the same old thing. The same, you're like, you can try something new, but in the end, it's just like, yeah, what was that worth? Yeah, it's just mundane. Every day, just doing it, just going with it. And I've just depressed all of us. Wonderful. <laughs> I think this is where Moses was at. I mean, he had 40 years living in a palace, 40 years seeing, seeing all this stuff, this opportunity to take hold of what God had called him to do. And man, it was going to be this giant ministry, mega church, all the book sales and all this stuff. And oh man, you were going to be somebody. You were told as a kid, you can do whatever you want. You're going to change the world. And last time you checked, you changed too many things, but some light bulbs. I wonder what in the world is going on. And I've met more 20-year-olds with midlife crises than I've ever seen in my life. And I hope it's not a midlife. So I hope they live longer than that. But I've met a bunch of you who have moved into retirement. And you're just like, I don't know where to go, what to do. You've watched your kids move out of your home. You feel like you lost your calling. You're not even sure what's going on anymore. You graduated from college. And you thought, hey, I was going to do this. Now all you got is a house payment with no house. And you're wondering where in the world are you going to go? So you just start living. COVID's over. Might as well put the kids in sports again. COVID's over. Might as well go back to what we were doing. Seemed to work kind of okay. Mundane. Anybody feel that way a little bit? Well, I think um, Moses will give us a chance to kind of shake us up a little bit. Maybe not Moses, but something happens to Moses. I want you guys to go there. If you've got a Bible, and maybe we're going to have something that will wake us from some mundanity today in, in Exodus chapter Three. If, you, if you've got that, grab it. Um, if you don't have a Bible, tell us. We'd love to get you a Bible. We would love you to mark up your Bible and have your Bible. If you're at home, pull it out. Get, get, your, get yourself on a piece of, your hands on some paper and uh, an opportunity to, uh, to study the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to mark some things and look at it. But really want to challenge you to, to really dive in to this text a little bit today and, and to keep it with you. Go home, read it, because I'm not going to cover all of it. Um, we're, we're almost covering two chapters worth of material. So we're going to be here till tomorrow. And so I want to make sure that you get, no, we're going to have to breeze through some stuff. And so I don't want to, I don't want to do what I did to the children's ministry last time. And that was 
make crying kids last longer than they need to. So we're going we're gonna to go through this. And what we meet, first and foremost, is a Moses who's absolutely in the dumps in his mundanity, just doing his life from the palace to the pasture. And so here we are, verse one. Now Moses was keeping the flock not his flock, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Uh, And he let his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Now, we all know this story. We've probably, if you've been in church long enough, if you've grown up in children's ministry, this is the flaming you know, bush thing. This is the, everybody out in the world knows this from, from movies. But what's weird about this is how it begins. Moses is literally just kind of going with the flow, like 40 years with the sheep, not my sheep, somebody else's sheep, just caring for the sheep. And he's walking around in an environment that honestly just feels kind of blah. It's like, yeah, it's just the sheep. And yet we're, you miss that So many of us, even me as a pastor, can walk around in a highly spiritual environment and just feel like it's mundane. Maybe you missed it, but Moses is walking around in a highly spiritual environment. The first you'll note he's saying he's keeping his uh, flock of his father-in-law and he's on the west side of the wilderness. Now that word is not just, you know, like desert. It's like a desert. No, in, in their mind, there was a geography of spirituality. The wilderness, Jesus goes off into the wilderness, a desert like place is where the demonic and the spiritual powers are kind of going. It's where they stay. It's where, they, it's where the, the spiritual things are happening. Things are haunted. It's abodes of death. And, and all these kinds of things are out in the wilderness. And here is Moses wandering around out in the wilderness, not, not thinking about God, not focused on God. In fact, he comes upon Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. We have no idea why it's called the mountain of God. God's not met anybody there yet. In fact, maybe it's brought in from the past, but why would Moses put it there? Except it seems like he's he's walking around in a spiritual environment. He's walking around in a spiritual world, but he's not seeing anything spiritual. His mind's closed off to it. I mean, so many of us as Christians, maybe you're not even a Christian, you you hear, oh yeah, God exists, but you're kind of like, where, what, when, how? I I don't get it. Because I'm in the dark, it just feels like I'm just going through life, just going through the motions. And I think there are so many people who feel this way. They're willing to give their life to any kind of activity, any kind of group that's going to fire them up to wake them from the mundanity. But Moses is woken up by something radically different than a cause and then some kind of like justice warrior thing, some kind of, you know, education or some kind of, I'm going to change the world movement. No, Moses literally kind of gave that all up years ago, 40 years ago. And suddenly what he finds is a flaming bush. Now, that may not mean much to you. It seems weird. Why would God have a flaming bush? Why would, why would he show up in a fire in a bush? But we see that definitely two Two beings are really here. First, you have the angel of the Lord. Not beings, but two persons. And it's really God showing up in his full presence. First, the angel of the Lord. This is actually the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the second person of the Trinity. You'll meet him. He shows up sometimes as the word of God came in a vision. You'll see that in Genesis 15. Really weird. How do you have a vision of a word? Anybody, you know, it's like, a written word showed up and started talking to him. No, it's a person shows up. And this person, this angel of the Lord is actually the second person of the Trinity, God himself showing up in a person. And so now he's there and this flaming bush, he's speaking by this flaming bush to Moses. And you're like, why the flaming bush? What's the big deal about a flaming bush? Except it, it goes backwards to Genesis 15. I'll let you look it up when you get home. But it's a story of a man named Abraham, and Abraham has just finished rescuing his, his, his nephew Lot from all these kings, and he's kind of lamenting he has nobody to inherit what he's now found and, and received. And, and he says, God, what are you doing? And God shows up in the vision of the word. And, and he leads him outside. I don't know how a word leads you outside, but this person leads him outside, points to the stars and says, you see all those? So what your descendants are going to be like? And it's the famous statement. He looked and he, he trusted God. He believed in God and God counted to him as righteousness, as a right standing with him. Powerful section. But then it goes on for him to say, how, how is it that, how is this going to happen? And God shows up after he cuts all these, after Abraham cuts all these animals in half and God shows up walking down the center of these animals as a flaming torch. 
fire on a stick. Why do you have fire on it? Well, here's fire on a stick. That's weird. What's up with the fire on a stick imagery, except that it's the presence of God himself coming in glory. Have you ever stared at fire while you're sitting in the campfire or out in your backyard as flames are going? Anybody done this? Anybody? I, I, I love, it's mesmerizing, right? And there's something about it. Have you ever thought about like, that, that's not physical. You can't touch the, you can feel the fire, but that little energy is going, boop, 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 boop. It's, not phys, it's not really physical. It's energy. It's weird. It's there, but it's, it's greater than. It, it's this picture of some glory. And that's the idea of glory. Whenever you see it, it's, it's shimmering. It's beautiful. But it's, it's like, where is this? This is beyond me. And this glory is billowing off of this torch and off of this very thing, indicating you have come into the very presence of God. And so Moses steps over to this sudden presence. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. And he said, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet. And this place in which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And he's just like face plant down out of it. I just come into the presence of God. This goes back into that whole conversation we had a few weeks ago where your first encounter with God is not typically a happy one. It's going to be one of fear. It's going to be one of, of conviction. It's going to be one in which God comes and you're like, oh my gosh, this is God. What do I do with this? Okay, so um, if you have a presence of a spiritual being and it's not calling out your sin, it ain't God. But anyway, we, we, we see this sudden explosion of spiritual life. Mundane, 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 God's presence, boom, and it wakes him up out of his lethargy, wakes him up out of this situation. Suddenly, here I am, I'm standing in the presence of God, and this will shift Moses' direction. It will shift him out of a mundane existence. And maybe what I want to suggest to you is, is you and I need God's presence to wake us up from this kind of mundane life. Maybe it's God's presence that would actually stop making things be so boring. What if that was it? Wouldn't that be awesome? Anybody agree with me? They'd be just like, oh, I'd love to see a burning bush. You know, something like that. Except we've seen these symbols before. We've seen this idea of a messenger, the word of God appearing. In fact, Genesis, or John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Goes on to say, and we knew him as Jesus. This is, Suddenly the word of God, Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, appearing as a human being, walking among us, giving us the way, the truth, and the life, call, calling to us in his presence. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And suddenly you've got this Jesus who is present. And so what about the flaming fire? Like, what, what's that all about? And yet that should draw you directly to an event after Jesus has been crucified on the cross, rises from the dead and ascends into heaven. He's told his disciples, go hang out in Jerusalem. And suddenly in Acts chapter two, we see on the day of Pentecost, it was the day of a celebration of first fruits. It says they were all together in one place, all the disciples, 150 plus of them. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of what word? Say it, fire, say it at home, fire. We have fire, not, not to light a bush, not to light a torch, not to suddenly float over a tabernacle. No, it comes and it's tongues of fire onto them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. That's exactly who the Holy Spirit is. He is God's presence in our life. He is the third person present with you. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they stepped out of that building and they began to preach. And then what they began was an exodus of the nations into the kingdom of God where Moses would meet the kingdom and would meet this flaming fire. And suddenly his life would be taken from the mundane shepherd to becoming a leader of an exodus out of Egypt. So suddenly God shows up and taps on these disciples, except this is not, this, we, we, we gotta be careful because too often we can just paint this as like this. This was only for the first century apostles. Can I just say, this is what happens to all of us when we come to Jesus Christ. 
You don't need a second like, whoa, suddenly I'm speaking in tongues. Some of you are speaking in tongues. Some of you won't. No, the spirit of God comes and dwells within you the day you receive Jesus Christ. And the only reason you would ever receive Jesus Christ is because suddenly the presence of God came into your face, into your life. You saw your sins and you went, oh, and you received him and now, boom, the presence of God is what was mundane, what was so boring, what was just so regular, what was so worldly has suddenly lit in your life as God's presence shows up. And now he is there. This is presence. It's God's fire, not lighting up a torch, but lighting up you, the temple of God. Every Christian in this room, if you are a Christian, has the presence of God, the very flame of God dwelling in your life. And whenever you meet the presence of God, it brings the calling of God. I don't know about you, but oftentimes what happens when we find ourselves without jobs or in retirement or in all these things, we wonder, man, what, God, what do you have me here for? What am I doing? Well, I don't even understand. I graduated. I'm not even sure where I'm going. I just, if I got, and you walk in the dark. And yet what happens is if you just realize God has already given you a calling when he showed up in your life. If you received Christ in your life, his presence is there along with the calling. And the calling comes because God shows up to bring it. This is what he does to Moses. He's like, here, here's, I'm here. I'm here to call you, Moses. Come here. And so the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I love this. I've heard there, he's repeating what we just heard. The affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And this is where you get your pen, pencil out. Everybody got a pen and pencil out ready? Mark up the Bibles, even the ones in the seats. If you highlight, you know, if it's on the, if it's on the iPad, this is the words. And I have come down to deliver them. Who has come down? God came down. Say that. I have come down to deliver them. Say that with me. I have come down to deliver them. God has come down. He heard their weeping. He heard their suffering. He heard their stuff. He's like, Moses, I'm here. I heard it. I seen it. I know it. I'm here. I'm here to act. I'm here to move. I'm here on a mission to let these people go. And so he goes on, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land of a good, up into a land of, that's good and broad land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Parasites and the otherites and the, you know, all those ites, okay? Oh, it's funites. And he says, now behold, the cry of my people has come to me and, and I have seen their oppression, which, which the Egyptians oppressed them. So he's repeating himself. And then he says, it's come, I will send who? You to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. You, Moses, I'm bringing you. I, I, I'm, I've come down and I want to use you. Well, wait a minute. Why don't God just show up and go do it? Because he loves to involve us in his mission. Guys, I think one of the things we need to remember, when the presence of God shows up in your life, he comes to call you, not into your own personal mission, but he calls you to join in God's personal mission. God's up to something. God's moving in this world. God does not have a mundane life. God's got a really exciting overwhelming kind of life. It is not boring. And he says, hey, I got an idea. I want to use you. I want you to join with me. I want you to come along on my mission. I want you to come join me in an adventure. I want you to come along. It's not going to be safe. It's not going to be easy. It's not always going to give you good stuff. In fact, you're going to suffer and it's going to be rough. But as we do this, we're going to change the world because guess what? I'm here to change the world. I'm here to call an exodus of the nations to come join me in a kingdom and resurrect them so that we can rule and reign on a planet where there can be health and beauty and joy because I died on a cross to give you life. Come join me. I've got this call for you. You know what we need to stop doing? We stop looking for our personal callings. Can't tell you how many people I talk to. It's like, if I just knew what I was, who I was and what I was supposed to do, then, then I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. How many of you knew what you were supposed to do? And sometimes it just made it worse. But here's the thing. We think in personal calling, like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He already told us, he says, I've, I've got this mission for you. 
I want you to get out there and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come love, love, your fa- love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love one another as I have loved you. Hey, that's what I've got for you guys. Hey, come, go with me, join me. I've got a mission for you. Come join the mission. I've got a part. Now, all of us may have been called on that mission, you and me alike, but we have different jobs. And what I'm saying is that what we got to stop doing is going, well, God, what exactly do you have for me to do? Do you want me to reach the orphans? No, just, just join the mission. Get out there. Go tell people about Jesus. Go out and love people. Guess what happens? One day you start caring for people because Jesus called you into this job and you start to care for some young orphan kid that you, you met and, and you really want to help. And one day it's not one, it's three. And then it's suddenly it's 17. And next thing you know, you've got a ministry on your hands and they're making a movie about you or something like that, right? That, that's what's weird because we're all on the same mission. It's sort of like Hacksaw Ridge. And I can't really endorse Hacksaw Ridge. It's a bloody movie, but I mean, it is a powerful movie if you've seen it. And what's interesting about the movie is this young guy is in the army. He wants to be a part of this fight in World War II, but he is not going to carry a weapon. He's not going to shoot a weapon. He doesn't want to do anything like that, but he's going to go in as a medic. And so what his job is, is to be a medic, not to go shoot people. That was the other guy's job. His job is to be a medic. And they persecute him and push him down because he's not willing to carry a gun, all this stuff. But he's like, it's the same mission, guys. We're all in the same battle. We're all in the same war. Just because I'm not shooting doesn't mean I can't do what I need to do. And he winds up doing his job so well. He saves hundreds of people off a hacksaw ridge and we make a movie about him. But you know what he would have said? I was just doing my job. How about you? Are you just doing your job? Billy Graham was just doing his job. I'm just doing my job. My job is no greater than your job. If your job is to care for babies and so people can hear the word of God, if your job is to help disciple students or children, it's no, it's no smaller than my job. Your job is to lead and worship, to play music so people can glorify their God. That's, that doesn't make your job less than my job. My job is just a job. It's his mission, folks. What's your job? Sort of like chores. We're all part of the family. Everybody's got chores, right? And the only guy who doesn't have chores, nobody likes that guy. <laughs> like, what was, what was, what's Uncle Fred? Never do the dishes. I don't talk about Uncle Fred. If your name is Fred, I forgive you. But no, I'm, no, I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry, that's what I mean. So the point is, guys, when we've got to realize we're not on our own personal mission. We're not out to make much of our lives. God's called us onto his mission. And when we get onto that mission, things begin to wake up. We begin to see what God's wanting to do. And as you do that and you step into that calling, it begins to be a little bit more personal. And you can find out more in our like live keystone and things like that. But really, I want you to understand that we got to get away from the personal call and just get back into the fact that when God showed up in your life, he called you to his mission. And we'll get involved there. Something begins to shift. And the mundane becomes a little bit more meaningful, a little bit more substantial. But it doesn't clear up the dark. That's what I love about Moses. He's super honest. He's like totally a raw, normal human being from any time period. God's like, I've got this mission. I'm going to send you. And you know what Moses does? He goes, oh, really, God? I mean, like, I'm not comfortable with this. I've got excuses up a wazoo. In fact, we're going to look at all, he's got tons of excuses here. His first excuse happens here in verse 11. Moses, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who are you? You're Moses. No, no. I mean, he, he's really saying, it doesn't matter. I grew up in a stinking house of Pharaoh or that's 40 years ago. I'm a shepherd. I'm a failure. I murdered somebody. Who am I? You ever said that to God? And why would you want me in your kingdom? I'm just a jacked up, messed up addict. I'm just, a, I just don't even, I never cared about you one day in my life. I'm only at church because my mom made me come today. I really, you know, I drink all the time. I like to party. I don't, I don't even want anything to do with you. I'm part of this uptight Christian group of people. This is ridiculous. Like, who am I that you would want me to be on your team? Who am I that you want me to be a part of helping people get their lives straightened out and move towards you? Why, why would you even want any of us? 
Next excuse that he gives us is actually down in, if you want to look down in verse 13, Moses here just goes like, well, you know, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they're going to ask me, well, what's his name? Well, what do I say to them? In other words, I don't know God that well. Like I'm, a, I'm just beginning this thing. I barely, I've never even read the Bible. How could I go out there and tell people about Jesus? No, I don't even, I, I don't even know the gospel that well. What if they ask me a question? I don't even know how to answer it. How many more excuses have we created? God's like, I called you on the mission. And we're like, ah, what? Me? Nah. I don't even know that much. He goes on. He says, in fact, chapter four, verse one goes, behold, they're not even going to believe or listen to my voice. They're going to say, the Lord did not appear to you. It's like, and that's how we feel. And you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll go. But man, they're not going to listen to me. I mean, they're going to laugh at me that I'm talking about Jesus. Do you know how they treat Christians out there nowadays? I mean, come on. Like, Jesus, hasn't science defeated Jesus? You're going to ask me some question, throw some information at me, and I'll be like, you're right. Moses said to the Lord, verse 10 of chapter 4, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and a tongue. In other words, I'm not gifted like that, God. (laughs) I know, I'm not gifted. I'm not a gifted evangelist. Oh, my gosh, how many times have I said this about myself? Oh, I'm not gifted to, to care for people like that. That's just not my gift. You know, I'm a really rotten human being. I'm just impatient with people. I'm really good with money. I'll just do the accounting side. You know, whatever. We've eliminated ourselves from certain jobs because God's like, do this. And we're like, nah, I don't really have the gift. Now, how many of you ever wondered, like, why would in the world would God use me? Doesn't he know my sin? How, when, why in the world would he ever do that? I don't know him that well. I don't have enough information. You know what? I, they wouldn't listen to me anyway. Or last but not least, that's not my gift. Anybody ever used those excuses? Can we just show our hands so we can all be on the same page? Because I do this all the time. Oh, good. I'm not alone. Guys, Moses is just like us. God comes with a call, and it didn't clear up the darkness. It just made it worse. But, um, yeah, well, huh, yeah. Because Moses was all focused on himself. I love how God answers. Notice the first excuse. He's like, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said to Moses, who are you? You are Moses. You're going to write the Ten Commandments. You're going to be the guy who sets up all the nation of Israel. You're going to like split the waters. You have all the education of the Egyptians. You know their military strategy. You have been educated in the Hebrew mindset. You're my perfect person, Moses. Who are you? You're what I need. No, that's how we would say it. Did you guys are so awesome. Did you know you got all the money from the North America? You're an American. You've got every opportunity. You can go wherever you want. Your passport's available. I mean, that's why God would want to use you. So, so what are, why are you saying about you? I mean, God's forgiven you so often. That, God doesn't even do that. Notice what he says. I'll be with you. Well, who am I? I don't care who you are. I'm going to be with you. Al? But it's his mission. Now mine, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk there with you, to be with you. This shall be my sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, when it's all over, you'll serve God on this mountain. I'm going to be with you. Not about how cool you are, how awesome you are, gifts you have, your knowledge and your skills. I'm going to be with you. You know, it's funny that it starts with the presence of God and the answer to every objection that Moses gives is the presence of God. So the presence of God gives you a calling and the calling creates more darkness. So then he says, well, trust my presence, trust I'm with you. You know, what's crazy is that Jesus stands there and he says, go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he ends with this sentence and behold, I am with you when? To the end of the age. When? No, no, only in church service on Sunday from exactly this time until the end of service. That's why I extend it so God will be with you longer. No. Yeah, God's going to be with you when you drive home in your car. He's going to be with you when you're making that meal and taking your nap later or yelling at your football team. He's going to be with you or you're standing there facing the pitch and you don't know how fast it's going to come or listening to your boss yell at you because of a mistake that you didn't necessarily make is God's there with you. He's with you like he's with the lady I talked to after first service who has seizures every day. Is he with her? 
It doesn't say he's never going to spend time away from me. He says, I'm always with you. If you're on the mission, I'm with you. I'm there. I'm present. I'm present with my fire. I'm present here. You want to know? You think you're inadequate? That's okay. I am adequate, God says. You, you think you can't do it? Guess what? I can, God says. In fact, he says, my presence is so powerful, Moses. Here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you all kinds of indications about my presence. First and foremost, I'm going to give you the presence of my name. Moses makes that complaint. He's like, uh, the people say, like, who are you? What am I supposed to tell them? I don't know you that well. And God says, well, okay, tell them I am who I am. Say to this, this, the people of Israel, I am has sent you. He'll go on to say, you know, tell them, say this to the people, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. He gives Moses his name. That should blow our minds. There's nothing more intimate than a name. Put it this way. You're standing in a long line, tapping your foot, looking at a menu board. You walk up to that front, you order. They get your order wrong, and they deem to say, order number 42. That's all you are. You're a number. 42. That's it. But you go to Starbucks and you're, Greg, your order's ready. Or if they get it wrong, Craig, no, it's not my name. Oh, but what's up with the name? You're walking through a crowd and it's this big, crazy tumult and people are talking and I'm at Disneyland and suddenly somebody goes, Greg, Greg. And I go, what? I hear my name. Lo and behold, it's somebody from church who's at Disneyland the same day I am. In a crowd, my name makes me look. In the ancient world, with all the gods and all the powers and all the stuff going on and all the noise and all the insanity, God says, you want to get a hold of me? Here's my name. Just say, Yahweh. And I go, what? Yahweh, what? Call upon my name. He says, this is my name to be remembered throughout the generations. And yet somewhere after Jesus, the Jewish people said, no, we can't do this anymore. We can't use his name. We might use it. No, God wanted you to use his name. He wanted you to call on his name. He wanted you to shout out to the God who is there because he, in the midst of all the crazy and all the influencers and all the government talk and all the friends and family and everybody who has an opinion, when you don't know what to do, you just go, Yahweh. And he goes, yes. You have his name. Oh, and you got a better name than even Yahweh. You know that? You have the name that is above all names. The name of Jesus. It's no wonder Jesus said, when you pray, pray in my name. My Father in heaven will answer it. Call upon my name. We know Jesus. We know God. We know his name. You have access to him. You can call out to him. You can say, God, I need you right now. Jesus, I need you right now. Just, just, just wipe God away. Start using his name. Because there are lots of gods in this world, but there's only one Jesus. There's only one Yahweh. And you have his name. In fact, you want to know how powerful his name is? If you're willing to admit it, you probably struggle with sharing the gospel because sometimes we're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to share the gospel. All you need to do is remember Jesus' name. Jesus' name, Jesus Christ. Got that? The name Jesus actually means Yahweh saves or rescues. It's Yeshua or Yosiah. That's, that's, that's the Hebrew term. It means Yahweh saves. Now, here's what's weird. What's the word Christ? It's not his last name. Christ is actually the word Messiah or anointed one. Now, if you look in your Old Testament, there are only three kinds of people who were ever anointed. The first that was anointed was the priest. And the priest was anointed for a purpose, to take a sacrifice to take away your sins as a people. And our high priest did not offer a sacrifice, but his own life. And so Jesus Yahweh saves through his anointed high priest, namely Jesus, who gives his own life to take our sins. You want to remember that Jesus, you want to remember that the gospel, it's Yahweh or 
God, Jesus, saves through bearing your sins as a sacrifice as the priest. Second person who's anointed is the king, and he won a victory over the darkness on our old ways and the kingdoms of this world, and so he leads you into victory by rising from the dead. How does God save? God saves through his anointed priest bearing your sins, and God saves through his king, who he calls you out of the grave and come follow him into a life of victory into the kingdom of God. The third group is the prophet. And what they did is they usually gathered people around to point them back to the word of God. And the prophets were basically your first group of disciples. And so he calls you into him being your grand teacher, your your master teacher. And that's post, but what I'm showing you guys, you can simply remind people. You don't need a complex thing. You just need Jesus' name. He's given you his name. And the name is powerful to save. How intimately powerful is it that he goes, I don't know you. Well, here's my name. You know him. When you receive his name, it transforms who you are. He's so present. He tells you, hey, not only do I give you my name, I give you my promise. He goes on, go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I observed you and what has been done in Egypt, and I promise, underline, circle, highlight, I promise. What, promise by what? By my name, by my reputation, by who I am. I promise that I'm going to bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the ites, the funites, the kizites, the kukadites, all those ites. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to go take you to those guys. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I promise... You, Moses, they're going to listen to your voice. And their elders of Israel are going to go to the king and say to him, Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now let us go, please, very polite. Let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I promise you, the king of Egypt not going to let you go unless he's compelled. So I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike them. I'm going to bring this about. He's going to give you a favor. You're going to ask for stuff and you're going to leave. He just summarized Exodus. If you're taking an Old Testament class, just highlight these verses, cut, paste, you're good. You, got, you just got a good rest of Exodus outline. But what you see here is a promise. The same promise that God gave to Moses, he gives to us. He has promised us the nations will hear. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will be found in eternity celebrating the name of God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And so you have a promise, folks. You know the difference between me and some of the people I hear all the time about their great stories of evangelism? I got friends who work at the docks and do all kinds of things. They always got great stories about who they're bringing to Christ. I'm just like, man, how are you? The bottom line is the difference is they know the promise and they're trying. When I have the promise of God, I'm willing to try because I can't, you know, even if I mess up, I can't fail ultimately. God gives you a promise because it isn't going to be easy, but he's going to tell you, I'm going to get you through it. The promise in the dark, like we saw last week, leads you through this dark time. And he goes, here's the promise. I give you the promise. You will be successful as a church. You will resurrect. We will see Corona and California reached if we're willing to try. But if we keep giving up, And we keep thinking otherwise in other directions and we don't open our trap about the name of Jesus. Yeah, it's it's not going to look good. But he's given you his presence. He's with us, folks. He's here with his promise, with his name. So we can try even more than that. He gives us another part of his presence. And Moses is just like, well, they're not going to listen to me anyway. Just leave me alone, God. I don't want to do this. And he's like, no, 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 no. Here, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And I think that's how Moses said it, a staff. He's like a junior high kid, right? Just like, I don't want to do this. All right, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and became a serpent. Ah! Why does he run? Because anytime you're in Saudi Arabia and you see a snake, run. It is a dangerous thing. It's going to kill you. All right, there's no safe snakes. And then God goes, I got a great idea. Put your hand out and grab it by the tail. Don't grab snakes by tails. Okay, folks, that's just not something you do, right? But he does it and turns it back into a staff and, and he gives him the sign. Ooh, magic tricks. No, 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 no. It's a sign. Signs are things that point somewhere. 
And what this was pointing to is, Moses, I have given you power over the spiritual world. The gods of Egypt, the primary one was a serpent. You want to know what the dark world wants to do? It wants to control you? No. He says, guess what? Why did Jesus say, go cast out demons? Why is that one of his instructions to his disciples? Except that he's saying, you're not to be controlled by the darkness. God has given us power by his presence over the darkness. He tells Moses, hey, put your hand inside your cloak. Okay. Ah! It's leprous. It's horrible. Ah! God says, stick it back in. Okay, what was that? It's the second sign. We have power over death, power over disease. The third one was take um, some water out of the Nile and pour it on if they're not going to listen to you. That's a sign of judgment. But here's the thing. God gives us these signs, but you know what's crazy is he's given us the sign of the resurrection. The power over death and sin. Not so we can go rub it in people's noses, but so we can open the tomb that everybody's sitting in because guess what? We all stink, folks. We're broken. We're messed up in our addictions and our boredom and our mundane life. You and I are sinners. We got to have somebody roll back a tomb or we're going to die in this state. And he sent out a people to get out there with a message that overcomes the addiction and the demonic that holds us down and all those religions that want to make you do, 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 do. And he says, no, no, I want to set you free from that. And all this disgusting brokenness of our souls and our hearts and our depression. He says, no, I want to give you a life because I rose from the dead. Come. And if you don't want that, fine. I'll give you a symbol of judgment. But you know what? I've overcome this in the resurrection come here. And he says, now you guys go get them. I'm on a mission. Go get them. And I'm going to show myself off. And sometimes he does that with miracles. He does. We've seen people's healed in our church. We've seen God do some incredible things through miracles, but they're always signs pointing to the gospel. You know what I find fascinating is you know what our culture is obsessed with right now? Power. Who's got the power? I got the power. Right? It's all about that stuff. And God goes, I got the power. And what if God's just waiting for some people to just go out with his presence, just try, and maybe even pray over some people who are sick, try and see people set free from the demonic, and maybe God shows up with his power and people start to go, wait a minute, who is this Yahweh you're talking about? Who is this Jesus that saves? What is going on? Maybe God's trying to wake it up from all the arguments to an actual existing God who works, but he's just waiting for some people to go out into Egypt and stand there on his mission for a little bit. But I don't have the gift of healing. I'm not eloquent either. Or da, 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 da. The Lord said, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will, what? Be with your mouth. Now, that's a weird sentence right there. But God's obsessed with presence. I've come down to be with you. If you want a good summation of the Bible, that's it. The Bible is about God coming down to be with us to be with your mouth, to be with your hands, to be with your eyes, to be present with you. And when he's present with you, he puts you on a call. And when he puts you on a call, he's called you then to get busy, to do something. I've given you promises. I've given you the power. Hey, I'm even the God who can meet your need. You don't know what to say? I'll help you out. I'll be with your mouth. I'll give you something to say. You don't know what to do when you reach out to pray for that person. You think you're going to get fired. He says, don't worry about it. I'm with you. I'll be with your hand. I'll be with your mind. I'll be with your eyes. I'll be with you. Hey, you don't know what to do when you're going to go help out that homeless person. Don't worry about it. I'm here with you right now. I've got you. Hey, you don't know what to do. When your children are crying and they're, they're, they're wondering if God even exists and you're like, I need Pastor Greg. No, he is with you and he's way better at this than I am. Your God is with you, folks. He's with you, present with you, present with your mouth. And all we need to be is on call. We're all called, but are you on call? Those of you who work in certain industries, you know what on-call means. It means 
that they can call you up any time of the day at any moment and suddenly you got to get up, drop the birthday party, drop the, drop the church meeting, whatever, and you got to get out there and go do what you've been called to do. And Jesus says, hey, here's what I've done. I've brought you into my presence. I've come to you. We're doing this great mission and now I just need you to be on call. And Moses goes, nope, not me. Just send somebody else, God. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're just like, I really would rather go back to the baseball games. I'm pretty good with like, you know, just coming, hanging, going home, watching online, enjoying my pajamas. Yeah, good COVID thing, mess some stuff up, but I'm pretty good with mundane. Okay. We, we can choose as Olive Branch to just go, thanks for the mission, God. We're good. This is good people. I like these people right here. Let's just keep it like this. If we had anybody else, it might get ugly. No, we're good, God. I don't want to lose that job. I don't want to get involved. And God, finally, it says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled. Then? Wow, it took you. How patient is God, right? I mean, come on. Over and over, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Yeah, okay, now I'm with you with something else, buddy. It's like, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know, you can, I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You're going to tell him to put the word and tell him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth. And we'll teach you both what to do. You don't want to do it? Fine. I'll use Aaron because Aaron at least will be on call. And sure, we don't want to do it. God can use crossroads. God can use connection. I hope he uses all of them, but if God's not, if we don't want to be used, God will figure it out. He'll, he'll do something else. But we've been called. We're on call. Then when he says, get moving, we go, yeah, Lord, okay. And I love it because I want to be like Aaron in this scene, not like Moses. And my friend Dan, he, he kind of put this in a good way for me. The other day, a couple weeks ago, Dan went out and he's, he's like, I'm going to go fishing. He hadn't done fishing in a long time. He's got a bass boat and he went out to Lake Paris. So mundane. Before he left though, he was just, God, I don't know, just use me however you want to use me. That was his prayer for the day. As he went out to the bass boat, he got out there, wind is blowing. He's like, I don't go fishing in the wind. I don't want to fish in the wind. He's like, oh, whatever, I'll get in the boat. And goes out in the boat. He's casting, he's catching nothing. The wind is really blowing. Water's breaking over the side of his bass boat and He's looking around. He's like, I got to get out of here. This is ridiculous. And he spots three men getting into a metal dinghy and just going on out into the water. And it's rough. And everything in him went, oh, no. Positioned himself behind and watched and waited. And suddenly, sure enough, that wind flipped him over. Three guys, one guy hanging on the side. Only one guy's got the life preserver on. He's floating. The older man's just like sitting there going like, oh, I don't know, it's freezing. He pulls his bass boat over, starts dragging one guy up. And another guy pulls up and his bass boat. And together they get these guys out and they get over. One guy has to kind of float away in his, uh, on his, in his uh, life preserver to the shore. And he's going to be fine. He was younger, but he's praying for him because this is dangerous scenario. And he knows it's dangerous because when he was a child, he went out on a, on a lake in a little metal dinghy just like that and they went over and he was like those are not safe in this weather and it was like God lined everything up he never goes to that place he doesn't go but he just said one prayer he's like God excuse me today and he's pulling the guy out of the uh, up on the shore away from he's just exhausted as he made it to the shore he starts tell, talking about Jesus he's like amen brother he was on call God, just use me today. He's got you on a mission. It's not yours. It's his. He's got jobs for us to do. He's got people for us to go rescue off a hill. But are we on call? Gosh, I don't want to get caught up in a bunch of mundanity. I just need to be on call. And suddenly when I, when I put in those terms, even the mundane has a special ring to it. Because all it takes is God to go right there. I'll be with you. Take the step right there. I'll be with you. Try it. His presence has come. We're all on call. Praise God, he'll be with us every step of the way. Amen? I want to be like Aaron. I want to be on call. 
Let's see what God begins to do. But some of you, you need to start by just receiving the fact that the presence of God has come to you today. And you haven't done the first part. Maybe God woke you up a little bit today. You're like, oh, what is this? I mean, you're online just watching him. Maybe you're here because mom made you, whatever it is. But there's this burning bush that showed up. God said, hey, I want your attention because, hey, I want to tell you something. But before you do, I just need to let you know, you're on holy ground. Would you do me a favor, everybody at home, outside, right here? Look at your feet for a minute. Such pretty feet. All right, why not? Think about where they've been. Where have they gone that you're not proud of lately? Where, where have they traveled to in the years of your life that you wish you could just wash that dirt off of them? I'm sure we've all been to places we wouldn't like to admit. But if those shoes and feet could talk, what would they say? It's no wonder God said, hey, take those sandals off, Moses. They've been treading in the wilderness and the dirt and the mess and the the ways that are against me. And I want you to do, you need to take it off. Are you saying that I got to clean up before I come to Jesus? No, no, listen, listen. It's the beauty between the Old Testament and the New Testament. See, before communion that night, Jesus gathered his guys together. He donned the robe of a servant. He said, now take your sandals off. I'm going to wash your feet. And what Jesus did is he cleansed them so they could be used for him. In fact, he would later say it this way, all of you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. See, you don't clean up. Jesus washes you clean and he did it through the cross. At the cross in his blood, regardless of where you're at and what you're attracted to and how you identify and what you've done and all the other stuff in life, Jesus comes to say, listen, I'm here to clean you up. All the dirt off the feet, all the mess. I do it by my word. And here's his word. He says, I've come to bear your sins on the cross. Give me all your mess. I'll give you all my righteousness. I'll make you right with God. He rose from the dead to give you life, to put you on call, to bring you after the king. And what he asks you is, will you just simply give your allegiance to me? And that's where you're at today. Maybe God's calling you there. If you would, bow your heads with me, even at home, outside. Today, if that is you, and you're ready to follow Christ and give your allegiance to him, I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. Just start here. Start with a prayer, but let me know that you're praying. Put your hand up or reference it at home. Tell, tell the person online. Let the person outside know. You're saying, that yeah, that's me. I need, I need to do this. Make it right. And you just pray this. Say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. I've walked in places I never wish I had. I've done things I never wish I would have done. And I know I've sinned against you. But I trust that Jesus Christ, his work on the cross will cleanse me. I trust that you're giving me a life as he's risen from the dead. And I want to pledge allegiance to him and follow you. Please lead me now in my life. In Jesus' name.